This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox in for the vacationing Martin Strong. In just a few moments, we'll check in with John Carlson of 2% Realty. But first, here are some of this week's top consumer stories. Across Canada, the average price of rent climbed back up after after pandemic lows, with the monthly rate new tenants face now 20% higher than it was two years ago, according to just released rental data. The average rental property cost about $16.62 in April of 21, according to rentals.ca, but the average price to rent now is $2,002 as of April. That's 9% higher than the same time period last year as well. When ranked by the price of a one-bedroom apartment, Vancouver, yeah, you knew it, was the most expensive city with an average asking price $2,787, followed closely by Toronto at $2,526. Apart from Vancouver and Burnaby, which took third place at $2,330, the most expensive cities or regions to search for a one-bedroom apartment were all from Ontario in the greater Toronto area. A whiskey brand co-founded by Canadian actor Kiefer Sutherland says it has raised more than $100,000 for relief efforts related to the ongoing Nova Scotia wildfires. Sutherland, of course, is from the Maritimes originally, or at least his family was, and he came back to the Maritimes last week to promote his Red Bank whiskey brand, posing for photos with bands and signing bottles, the usual stuff in both New Brunswick and over on PEI. He then announced his focus in Nova Scotia was going to change to raise funds for the Canadian Red Cross. His Red Bank team hosted a private event in the Halifax area to raise funds, and a message posted on their Instagram account a couple of days later said it surpassed the $100,000 donation mark within 24 hours. And of course, all funds raised by Red Bank will be matched by the Canadian government as well. So kudos to Canadian actor Kiefer Sutherland, keeping his home country in mind at all times. Those are some of the week's top consumer stories. We'll look at some more, too, later on, including, of course, the latest offering from Apple. But first, we'll take a quick break here. And then, coming up, we'll check in with John Carlson, Johnny Smartpoint at 2% Realty. Stay with us right here on Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer for a Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox sitting in for the vacationing Martin Strong, and it's a pleasure to say welcome again to John Carlson of 2% Realty. Johnny Smartpoint is back on Vancouver Consumer. John, it's been forever since we've had a decent chat on the radio. How are you today? I'm doing great, Sterling. Thanks uh, again for having me on your program. It's, it's great to talk to you again. Well, let's take a look at the big picture. You and I, as I just mentioned, haven't had a good chat for a good while, and it's been quite a different time in Metro Vancouver real estate these past few months. What's the big picture look like this weekend, John? Well, when you look at the big picture of real estate in Greater Vancouver and the Fraser Valley, you know, we have to look back a little ways, of course. You know, I anchor everything with, uh, you know, going back to the heyday, maybe, you know, which kind of peaked in February or March of, of last year. 
And then we started to see some changes, Sterling. We saw interest rates go up a little bit and uh, signs that perhaps interest rates might continue to go up, which they mm -hmm. have. Uh, we saw, you know, a lot of the pent up demand that was fueling that market, just a fire hose of steady, ready, able, willing, desperate buyers jumping at listings and multiple offer situations, pushing prices up higher and higher and higher. But as I mentioned, it might have peaked around February or March, and then we started to see things slow down. And, and when you look at things statistically, I think we saw about nine or 10 months of uh, straight of prices you know, dropping in pretty much all segments, sales volume dropping uh, compared to the all-time highs, of course. Uh, and then we found ourselves, you know, at the end of last year and the beginning of this year in a little bit of a slowdown. November, December, January are generally pretty slow months for listings. And, and we take January, February and March for listings this year. We saw, um, you know, a rate of new listings hitting the market that was lower than it had been in many, many, many years. So mm, okay. when the spring market started to take off in, let's say, March and April of this year, Buyers looking around in some segments, the hottest segments, which were probably, you know, affordable townhomes, detached houses and in the affordable range with rental income, that sort of thing, looked around and said, wait a minute, there's not that many listings and buyers being comparison shoppers, as we all are, sure. chose the, the properties that made sense and there weren't that many to go around. So as a result, we've seen now that the May statistics are out for 2023, we've seen four straight months of price increases now, relatively modest increases. And it wasn't necessarily because we had a huge pent up demand on the part of the buyers. Our sales numbers are still under the 10 year averages for these months. But what we found was, you know, again, the supply and demand ratios indicated that the market heated up a little bit and the prices were bumped up. Now we're into June. As of June 7th, as most of the listeners know, we had the interest rates of the Bank of Canada bump things up about a quarter of a percent. And there's talk yep. that it may happen again in July. Yeah. And what I'm seeing now is the market seeming to balance out a little bit more. And, and, and what I mean by that is uh, buyers have a little bit more uh, product to look at, to choose from. And maybe, you know, the fundamentals in terms of how much money they can borrow from the bank to give themselves ammunition to go out there and, and win in the market you know, that's been eroded a little bit as the interest rates go up. So we're in a market that, again, is adjusting as we head into, you know, the summer and then, of course, the fall. So looking forward, hard to say exactly what will happen, but I'm seeing a market that is starting to balance out a little bit and buyers are getting a little bit more, again, to choose from, have a little bit more time to make decisions and therefore don't have to be as rushed. So I'm not everyone listening to us today, John, is familiar with real estate lingo. And you've already alluded to the phrase uh, buyer's market. And then, of course, the opposite side of that coin is a seller's market. Which of the two are we in right now, would you say, and why? Well, I think we've, <clears throat> excuse me, emerged from, let, let's define them. A buyer's market would be a market where I suppose a buyer has an advantage. And this goes to supply and demand, Sterling. If if I'm a buyer and there are, you know, a, a number of other buyers like me out there, but there's all kinds of listings to look at that have been on the market for a long time and they haven't sold and sellers are kind of getting antsy and, and maybe dropping their prices here and there. That would be a buyer's market where I can go into a seller and write an offer that's lower than a seller might like, but a seller says, hmm, we're not really getting a whole lot of other action and, and right. you know, these guys seem solid. A buyer has an advantage in a buyer's market, and it's all about the supply and demand. Whereas a seller's mm -hmm. market that we've seen during the peak, we have sellers with an unlimited almost you know, a number of buyers writing offers. And a seller had huge advantages in those markets simply because there wasn't enough product to go around. 
the market we're in, we have been in a what I would call a statistical seller's market for the past okay. four months where there's not that much inventory. But as I alluded to earlier, those listings are starting to accumulate in a lot of these segments. They're adding up a bit and it's becoming what I would call a balanced market where a seller has a reasonable chance of getting a good fair sale price at market value if they position and market properly and have good representation. And a buyer also has a, a good chance of finding a home uh, and paying what they think is a fair price through a what you might call a typical negotiation process where they're not rushed to compete and that sort of thing. So I would say right now it's pretty balanced, Sterling. Interesting stuff. I'm going to quote from your website, johnnysmartpoint.com, and I've done this in the past because it's been there for a while and it remains as true as the first time I saw it as it does today. Quote, a property that shows well, that is priced right, and that is marketed professionally will sell regardless of who is listing it and regardless of how much commission the seller has agreed to pay. Buyers don't care whose name is on the lawn sign or whose smiling face is beside the realtor.ca listing. Buyers only care whether the property they're considering purchasing fits their criteria and their budget. This is intuitively obvious. John, I first read that on the radio more than two years ago, and it remains as true today as it was then. Buyers don't care about the details. They just want the right property at the right price, or as what you call it, the smart point. Yes, you know, great point. And and that's that's just a truism in, in real estate. And, and I would add to that, Sterling, that all of that takes place within the parameters of the market that we're in. Um, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, that was taking place back when the market was red hot and you know, yep. prices were sky high and it's taking place now in a more balanced market. So I think what that really lends itself, you know, where, where this conversation ultimately goes, in my opinion, having been a professional in this business for more than 26 years, is it's very important to have somebody working for you and representing you uh, if you're selling a home or buying a home who understands what's happening in today's market and is able to give good advice. Uh, you know, a good realtor, a good real estate agent is not a decision maker. A good real estate agent is someone who knows on a day-to-day -day basis what's going on in your segment of the market, is able to give you good advice, uh, you know, right from day one where you set a list price and put your house on the market through the showing process and feedback and offer presentations that come in. Um, you know, so I think having good representation is is key to navigating any market, especially when, you know, when things are changing. And I would also add this, Sterling, that, you know, people looking at statistics, you're looking at statistics that are about a month old. They take time right. to come through the system. And oftentimes I'll let's sit down with people and they'll, they'll quote a, a statistics, you know, a report from a month or two ago. And that's no longer as accurate as, as they think it is. So, again, if you're going to sell your house on the market, I think I'd be a pretty good choice. But find someone who can give you the good advice to help you. Uh, knowledge is power, Sterling. And if you're on the market and you're negotiating a fairly large transaction, which you know real estate transactions are, you definitely want to have as much good information and as much strong representation in your corner as you can get. And that's really you know what I try to offer my clients. Well, and again, you mentioned 26 years in the marketplace uh, as a real estate representative. And, and remind us again, I've asked you this question in the past, but it's been a while, John. Remind us, at, at, at some point in that 26-year odyssey as a real estate agent, you made a conscious and deliberate decision to walk away from the standard commission structure and go to 2% realty. Remind us of why you took that decision. 
You know, that's a great question, Sterling. Um, and I get asked that, that question fairly frequently. And all I can say is, um, you know, when it comes to real estate agents, commissions are not set. I mean, agents can generally charge what they think is right. And if, you know, in any business, Sterling, if someone wants to charge a fee, it's up to the, the public, the clients, the consumers to decide if, if there's value in that or not. Yep. And back years ago, I started to recognize that with, you know, changes in, let's say, internet, you know, you've got listings everywhere. You're not necessarily mm -hmm. as a buyer dependent on an agent picking up the phone and saying, hey, uh, Sterling, guess what? There's this new listing a couple blocks from me you might be interested in. It's all there. Uh, the industry has changed a great deal over, you know, the 26 plus years I've been in it. And I recognized that consumers in real estate and a lot of other industries that have evolved over the years wanted better value. They didn't want corners cut. You know, they don't want, uh, you know, some slapdash discount person coming in and, uh, you know, winging it. They want professionals. They want good results. But really, commission structures, the the. The, the biggest, most common commission structure, I should say, that you'll find out there, and I talk to all kinds of people who interview me, they interview other agents at other companies, and, you know, oftentimes the commission structure is set by the brokerage that the agent works for, and most brokerages have a commission structure of 7% on the first $100,000, and anywhere between 2.5% of the balance of the sale price and 3.5% of the balance of the sale price. Right. So I recognize that with prices... I mean, they've they've almost doubled, you know, in the past number of years. The yes, commissions have. have also gone up and people yep. are looking for better value. And that's the smart point. I, try, I give good service and I save people money compared to the majority of my competition. Well, it's interesting, you know, when you go to johnnysmartpoint.com or you listen to this show, frequently you hear testimonials from John's clients and they'll go on and on about how John has treated them as professionally as any other realtor would have with quick listings and uh, the video treatment, all of the bells and whistles that come attached to a, a proper and professional job. And they always end up their remarks by saying, oh, and he also saved us X amount of dollars. So, John, in terms of providing the quality and the level of service demanded by most clients, that's never varied. The variety is in the commission, and that is always in the, in the client's favor. Yes. You know what? You hit it right on the head, Sterling. Um, you know, and I love that when I hear my clients, you know, give me a good testimony and they say, oh, and by the way, we saved, you know, $10,000 compared to the mm -hmm. other agent we talked to. And, you know, that's that's usually tax-free money, Sterling. That's principal residence, non-taxable money. And, and that makes a difference in people's lives. So I love to hear those kind of, you know, those kind of compliments. But as I've said before, uh, you know, it's like that old joke about the gum, that flavor that lasts forever. It tastes, tastes bad, but the flavor lasts a long time. You know, mm -hmm. nobody wants to have a, an attractive price and a poor product or service. So my first priority is always, you know, and that's what's keep, kept me going all these years, is to remember that this business, the real estate business, is all about the consumers. It's about buyers. It's about sellers. It's not about real estate agents. You know, my theory is if a real estate agent can provide uh, you know, a, a level of expertise and service that benefits a consumer enough where a consumer says, hey, you know what, I want to pick up the phone and call this person because this is an important transaction and I want their assistance on it. If I can fit into somebody's plans like that, then I will be working and I will be busy. But any product or service, you know, no matter how good it is, you can usually price yourself out of the market if you're not careful. And so I try to, again, give that smart point where 
you're getting an experienced agent with you know a lot of sales, a lot of history, a lot of understanding about the different situations in the business, but you're paying a fee that is a lot more reasonable or a lot more attractive, I should say, than some of the competition. Well, and as an example, friends, just take a look at uh, johnnysmartpoint.com and you'll find a grid uh, uh, underneath the title, How Much Will You Save? And as an example, a million-dollar property in Metro Vancouver, most other brokers will charge you a commission of about 29500 At 2% realty, the commission is 20000 The net saving in your pocket uh, after tax dollars $9,500. And John, you and I've talked about this before too. Moving always costs a lot more than you expect. So that extra cash in your pocket at moving time is incredibly valuable. It is. It is valuable. And uh, you hit it again uh, on the head, Sterling. We've, we've had these conversations and I know you've got a fantastic understanding of you know this real estate industry. People want value, but they want the results. And if you can save roughly a third of your commission cost compared to somebody else you're talking to that that gets kind of that gets attractive so i, I would say to the consumers yes co- uh, commission structure is important if i'm going to go out and you know and spend my money on a product or service i look at the value proposition just like anybody does but i don't want to sacrifice you know if i pay less i don't want to get less and i've heard that many times where i'll sit down with people and and they'll say, you know, John, you know, we, we like the look of what you've done and you sold the house down the street and, the, you know, our neighbors were very, very happy. But let me ask you this. Your commission is less by about $10,000 than the lady we just talked to three days ago at a different company. Where are you cutting corners? What is it that you're not providing? Hold hold and, up, hold that thought for a second, John. We need to take a quick break here, and we'll come back and find out more from Johnny Smartpoint, John Carlson of 2% Realty on Vancouver's Consumer this afternoon. We're back after this. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer here on CKNW. I'm Sterling Fox sitting in for the vacationing Martin Strong, joined by John Carlson. Johnny Smartpoint of 2% Realty is back with us today. John, just before we took the break, you were talking about how clients, when they interview you, as good clients should, uh, they talk to you about the the reality of you accepting a lower commission that is typical in the marketplace. And so they assume by taking that lower commission, you're going to reduce the service levels. You're going to cut corners. What's your response to that? Yeah, you know, and I, I get asked that question a fair bit, Sterling, because I think as consumers, we're all conditioned to, you know, and rightfully so in a lot of cases, to think that if a price is less, there, there's probably some cost cutting going on somewhere. And I suppose a lot of products and services are that way. You may have manufacturing costs that are fixed. You may have distribution costs, all these other things where if you're looking at real estate commissions, quite frankly, um, you know, they're not, they're not small. I mean, if I sell a million dollar house and, and there's a, you know, like we, we talked about it, a 2% commission, that's $20,000. That's a fairly yep. good paycheck for a listing agent and a, and a buyer's agent. Um, so I would suggest to listeners that first of all, you know, it's not as much a fixed cost business, it's a service cost. And the more volume an agent does, number one, you know, and I do a fair bit of volume year after year after year, Sure. Uh, you know, you can amortize your MLS costs and your photography costs. And I've got my teams that do the photography and all that sort of stuff anyways. But um, you, you can provide a little bit better value if you're doing more volume. Um, 
And the other thing is, if you're doing more volume, quite frankly, I believe that the more recent business you've done as an agent in any given area, the stronger you are as that agent. You're better at, uh, at, at you know, uh, defending a sale price or, a, or, you know, or, or an asking price on a listing because you do have all that information. And you've also got a lot of information about what's been going on recently. And, and if I can take a step back, this does go back to hiring a professional who's busy and working and understands the market. Because if you just looked at the statistics, let's say, and let's say you were a, um, a house, a detached house in, in, uh, in Burnaby, let's just say. Well, if you okay. look back in, in May, early May, you'll see that, boy, most of the homes that were priced well, they would set a date for offers. That date would come and go and they'd have multiple offers and they'd get a deal together. But if you mm -hmm. looked at the end of May and early June, you'll find that those very same segments, you'll have homes that listed similar price ranges, set a date for offers. And you know what? You check back on those, you know, the Tuesday or Wednesday after they were supposed to get offers Monday and they might say, hey, we're still available. We didn't get offers or we didn't get good enough offers. So mm. you want to know what's going on in your segment and, and how much competition there is uh, given how many buyers are likely to be looking at your home. So, you know, things like this, you really, really want to consider uh, when you put your house on the market in terms of getting good advice is what you're up against, what, you know, what your plans are and how to formulate a plan to go from A to B from, you know, from start to finish and have a successful sale. Yeah, interesting, John. And just to take that one step further, uh, my son has just been pre-approved for a mortgage. So now for the first time in his life, he's about to step onto the playing field of real estate in Metro Vancouver. Yikes. And uh, look at properties. What would you, what kind of advice would you have? Because you've been talking to basically people who are, are looking to sell and buy again and those sorts of things. But take a moment and, and talk to first-time home buyers. They're an important part of the real estate marketplace. But these are these are weird times for all of us. And for first-time home buyers, they're somewhat intimidating. What advice would you have for them? You know, that's a fantastic question. And, and first of all, congratulations to your son for, you know, having the wherewithal to be prepared and to get into the market. And you know, I, I wish him the best. I wish him good luck wherever he's wherever he's looking. I do actually have a, a you know a client right now that's a, a couple of young first time buyers, and I've worked with many many first time buyers. So I guess my first thoughts uh, when I, when I think of a first time buyer, I think about how complex the the process seems at first, and how you know daunting maybe it it may seem. And I oh, would yeah. my first advice to a first time buyer would be okay. Let's remember you're in control. You have a lot of options. You've got different possibilities you can look at. So let's relax and let's not feel any pressure. Let's uh, understand that uh, you don't have to be in a hurry and that this is a process and we're at the very beginning of the process. So in that process, I think it's important, first of all, uh, to understand what your options are. And by that, I mean, do you have financing approval? How much can you comfortably spend you know, depending on which segment you're looking at and maybe a house with a suite or a townhouse or whatever it might be, where mm -hmm. are you comfortable in terms of your financing? And then be prepared, but take your time, if that makes sense, because you can look around and see some properties, but if you've only seen three or four as a new buyer, you might not really recognize uh, that, uh, you know, one one listing is, is a really good listing or it might not be. So take your time to investigate your options, knowing what your financial parameters are, and I think, you know, I've, once I've been out two or three times with buyers and we've looked around, I start to formulate a real understanding of what they're looking for. And I'm able to better give them advice in terms of, you know, properties they might consider or not consider. Right. And then being prepared, Sterling, you know, your financing, you know, we, we've got an inspector lined up. 
uh, appraisers. Um, you know, we review strata documents and understand, you know, what's important that way to a buyer. The more prepared you are and the more experienced and the more stuff you look at, when you do see that property that you like, you want to be ready because if it's one of the best listings and chances are you're looking for one of the best listings, there could be other people also interested in as well. So mm-hmm. I would say it's kind of a two-sided coin. Be very relaxed, take your time, let's explore possibilities. But on the other hand, let's be aware enough that when the right property comes up and you get that look in your eye, go, this is the one, we're ready to jump. So relax, but be ready to pounce when the time's right. Interesting. Much appreciated. Listen, I want to take a moment and return to something we talked about in the first segment of our conversation today. You gave us a, an overview of the marketplace today. And of course, you included this week's quarter point interest rate increase, John. But then you also alluded to something that's pretty widely chatted about these days, the distinct possibility of another interest rate increase in July. How is that likely to affect the marketplace, particularly as we look forward to the fall season? Well, higher interest rates, they have a dampening effect on the market because, of course, there's two factors. Number one, a, a, a buyer can't leverage as much financial you know, strength as they could when, when rates were lower. So it drops mm-hmm. the buying power. But it also sends a signal uh, out there and, uh, to potential buyers that, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the time is right. Maybe it isn't right. Maybe I don't have to rush. Rates may go up and that may bring prices down even further. So there's always a dynamic of predicting the future that goes into, uh, and and that can be a fool's game, of course, but you want to be, you want to have a good understanding of what's happening now and what might likely happen in the future. And given this rate hike just on the 7th, it's only a quarter point. Maybe July will be another quarter point. But what that does from day one on the market is, there are people who have interest rate holds. The bank will generally give you 90 or 120 day hold at a certain rate. So those yeah. people may want to follow through and act quickly, fairly quickly to achieve a purchase uh, while their rate is still lower. Once that time has passed, then you've got new people in a new kind of a situation, a new game where it's a little harder to, to borrow as much money. So what it could mean, and, and I'm going to put my salesman hat on here pretty strong, uh, Sterling, but what it could mean is now is the right time to sell. If you're a seller, the market's there right now. It may be cooling a bit due to interest rate heights. It remains to be seen. But the time is good right now. We might have a fall market that that slows down a bit again. And it's hard to say at this point in time. But that's the effect of interest rate heights. They generally, over enough period of time, they will cool that market down. So from a seller's perspective, all of a sudden you're looking at a marketplace where buyers with their pre-approved mortgages now lower than today's interest rates and likely to be lower still than next month's interest rates. Those people are are going to want to act while those pre-approvals at, at the current levels are still in their back pockets, right? That's right. So we, given this interest rate hike, we'll probably be good through July and August. In, in other words, with the pre-approved buyers already out exactly. there, they may be looking to act. But after that, we may see a September, October, November where, you know, interest rates are higher than they are even today. They may go up again one or two times. We just don't know. And those, again, those things will have a cooling effect on the market. So sellers, you know, sometimes want to um, consider these things when they're thinking about the timing. When do I want to put the house on the market? And of course, timing the market is said to be a fool's game. And yet, of course, we all try to do it because we're all in the market. So how do you avoid becoming a fool? Boy, you might be asking the wrong guy. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, you know, you want to be smart. 
about what you do. And it, this comes down again to getting good advice. Know the environment that you're operating in. Uh, know what your competition is doing. Uh, have uh, you know a, at least a picture of what you think is coming in the in the coming months. And I think with the interest rate heights, we do we do have a, a a picture of that. And then just be honest with yourself. You know, look at your property. When I meet sellers, you know, I say you ask me to do an evaluation. Right. I want to understand all of the good things here that might attract buyers because sometimes what sells a property is a combination of factors that are somewhat unique all in one place. And you get that right buyer that says, "Oh my gosh, I've been looking for a big rancher with RV parking and a." triple garage and I just can't find one. Know what your strengths are so you know the maximum uh, highest and best value of your property, but also recognize some limitations. I mean, some some properties will have, uh, you know, um, busy streets behind, or you may have a little tiny yard, or you may have all kinds of other factors that might limit the way a buyer sees your home. So understand how you might compete in the market and then make a strategy going forward that, that makes sense to you. And that might mean, hey, I'm a seller. I've already bought my new property because I found my dream home. And man, if uh -huh. I don't sell within 30 days, I might lose it. Well, that's a different strategy than saying, you know, I don't know where I'm going yet. I want to get a strong sale price to make sure that I can afford to buy another place. That might be a different strategy. So come up with a strategy that, that fits the market, fits your personal needs, and that fits your property. And a good professional can help you do that and maximize the process so you get as much money in your pocket as you possibly can. 604-612-0080, 612-0080 for that evaluation, that appraisal from 26 years of experience. John Carlson of 2% Realty is your guy. 604-612-0080. And uh, John, when you do those appraisals or evaluations and give the customer a number and it's not the number they were hoping for uh, and they express disappointment, what do you say? That's a great point. Oftentimes I'll give my opinion of value and sometimes people are very pleasantly surprised and other times they're disappointed. Um, if a client is disappointed, I, first of all, I acknowledge when I give an evaluation that it is one opinion. One opinion doesn't make market value. I don't decide sterling. Uh, you know, no agent does. No real estate agent is going to decide what a buyer is going to pay. Right. But keep in mind that a good agent should know what's going on well enough and understand your property and your situation well enough to give you good advice in terms of where to position it. So when I, again, back to your question, when I give people my advice, oftentimes they'll say, you know, John, we, uh, we think this number might be better. And of course, we have a discussion about that in full agreement and acknowledgement that it's not my money, it's not my house, and I don't control the market. So I'm humble from that point of view. But I try to understand where these numbers are coming from. And quite frankly, sometimes I'll say, you know what, maybe I didn't appreciate something well enough. Let's try it. Other times I may say, you know, I still don't agree, but it's your money. Let's try it. Because again, as long as I think there's a chance for it to be successful, but I might say, hey, if we're going to do this, let's make sure we really monitor the feedback. How many showings are we getting relative to our competition? What is the feedback from that competition? Are we getting, are we in the success zone? Are people calling us back saying, hmm, you know, this is an interesting spot. We're kind of coming into consideration. Or are they right. just simply saying no? Because if they're saying no, chances are your price is high and you're competing against other product that is hard to compete with. That number again, friends, is 604-612-0080. Lots more information on his excellent website, johnnysmartpoint.com. Again, johnnysmartpoint.com. John Carlson of 2% Realty, 
Great to talk to you on the radio again, sir. It's been forever. Thank you. Love to love to talk to you anytime, Sterling. Looking forward to the next one. We're back after this. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Our thanks to John Carlson of 2% Realty for a fascinating hour on Metro Vancouver real estate here on Vancouver Consumer. Lots more coming up in our next hour, too. But here's another one of the week's top consumer stories. BC Ferries is planning to modernize check-in and boarding systems at its five major terminals. Changes could include allowing reserved vehicle passengers to check in using new express lane ticket booths, pre-gate vehicle identification using license plate recognition like they do at the border, and enhanced ticket booth technology. Foot passengers would get improved kiosks, fare gates, and boarding pass validation systems. A modern, more efficient system would mean reduced waiting times for both foot and vehicle passengers for ticketing and reservation redemption, BC Ferries are saying. In this report, they prepared for the BC Ferry Commissioner outlining its intentions. And here's a quote from that report. Without change, the company's major terminals will not be adaptable for the future and will not be able to realize efficiencies, resulting in increased costs and heightened business risks. The current system rather, is manually intensive and supported by inflexible and aging technology. Close quote. And don't we know that to be true? The five terminals earmarked for upgrades are Swartz Bay, Suwasan, Duke Point, Departure Bay, and of course, Horseshoe Bay. Technology to support new terminal operation systems would be implemented in two phases over four years, say BC Ferries, and that allows for evaluation and system adjustments as implementation takes place. So there we have it, the latest from BC Ferries moving beyond the BC Buffet. And that is our first hour of Vancouver Consumer today. Up, up next is Heritage Gardens Director Trevor Green. That's after the news, which is next right here on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.